And now, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Welcome, everyone, to Down the Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I am Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host, Matthew Dressing. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I am Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it is important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right, and we want to thank you, everyone, for joining us here this evening on Down the Garden Path. Tonight, we are continuing our uh, month-long deep dive into everything landscaping. Um, so we are talking all about lighting and irrigation with Paul Koska of Aquatech Irrigation Systems. Let me let Matt tell you a little bit more about Paul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, Paul Koska has worked in the irrigation business for 18 years with Aquatech Irrigation Systems and for the past nine years specializing in landscape lighting with the creation of the lighting branch of the company LightTech. Thanks for joining us on the show, Paul. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks guys, thanks. <laughs> um, and it's a timely topic, isn't it? To start talking, um, you know, that's why we chose March as our landscaping month and we've done a kind of a deep dive on that. And, uh, but as we were talking just before the show, the season has begun if the season ever really ended. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your company because it's lighting and irrigation. Yeah, so Aquatech Irrigation uh, has been a company for over 30 years doing irrigation systems. And um, about eight or nine years ago, we started Light Tech and branching off to uh, doing uh, low voltage landscape lighting systems. And um, ever since doing that, lighting has just kept me extremely busy. It's, uh, oh, that's it's a very good. popular so addition. Yeah. So is that like your division? It really is. Yeah. That's what I've really started focusing on. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what type of different lighting systems do you install? Um, so I, I do low voltage and mostly all LED. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. It's all LED lighting now. There used to be uh, a lot of halogen systems, but that's pretty much... Um, uh, on its way out. It's, it's everything's, everything new now is LED. Is LED. Okay. Yeah. And is that the same as low voltage? It, it is. It's, it's, they work together. Low voltage okay. is um, putting out uh, 12 to 15 volts, say out, out uh, in the field. And we hook up LED lights to that. Okay. All right. And um, cause yeah, I think people say landscape lighting and low voltage lighting, but um don't really understand know what it is like I, I want to yeah. you know go to the the lowest you know just the basic information on um is it the energy efficiency bulb longevity or I'm sure all yeah. of that right all, all of that absolutely there's um uh, switching to led has changed the game for sure um mm -hmm. it's much less usage of power um whereas like in an old halogen system there'd be a 20 watt bulb say or 35 watt and now there are four watts and six watts with LED. Ah, so okay. it's an incredible uh, power saving uh, by running it. And then a uh, lifespan for um, like an LED drop-in bulb that would go inside a, a, an existing fixture. Mm -hmm. They last, they're usually rated for around 25,000 hours of runtime. Um, and then you can upgrade to like an integrated fixture of LED, which, which the fixture is kind of built around the LED. It's all LED okay. built into it. 
-hmm. and that fixture is designed for like heat dissipation and everything it's it's really specific but they usually have like a 50,000 uh runtime wow so it's it's incredible yeah they just last such a long time but do they really and you know has that been proven <laughs> like, yeah. well you would know if because otherwise yeah. you'd be out there replacing bulbs and, all the time right well in, so. in my experience um okay. i i have yet to change uh, a bulb that has actually burnt out from lifespan wow. now there's been the odd weird problem where you know maybe something shorted out or damaged the driver inside and you replace the bulb that way but um yeah lifespan no i haven't had one die just by that wow pretty that pretty incredible. incredible yeah yeah, yeah. Well, that is good. We seem to have lost Matt off of Zoom. He kicked oh, him yeah. out, Gary. I think he was kicked <laughs> out, but we, Paul and I can He'll be going. back. He'll be back. He'll be back. <laughs> Just promise to let Gary be nice and let him in, okay? <laughs> you got it. Um, yeah. So, well, that is interesting. Um, uh, what should homeowners, so, you know, everybody thinks they want lighting or sometimes people don't. I know when I'm doing designs, they're like, well, you know, I've got the yeah. light on my house and I've got the light at the garage. So maybe I need a couple of lights, but really, I mean, I, and there's, so there's always that fine line between people like their house is an airport or, <laughs> yeah, or, or, a theme or there's park like or, one, like, yeah. you know, a uh, uh, sad light. So what should homeowners kind of consider when, when choosing landscape lighting? Well, I mean, we always try to um, to achieve an, a nice even balance across the, the property uh, without doing too much. Um, it, almost everybody's concern is not getting it, uh, a theme park look or, a, or a, an airport or anything like that, right? And, yes. And we work really hard to avoid that. that the, the point is to kind of just light it all up without you sort of knowing everything's lit up and blowing up in your face. It's, it's mm-hmm. just nice and subtle in the background and... Um, and, and, and yeah, that's the main point is to try and keep it all kind of soft and, and out there, but usable. Right. And, uh, it really helps create your, um, your outdoor space. It helps it make it usable past uh, dark. Yeah, absolutely. And, and safety, right? Knowing this, where the steps sa- are. I mean, we've safety all tripped is a very over. Big thing. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> no, absolutely. Safety really comes into it. We use a lot of different effects um, where we would maybe downlight from trees or, use little path lights that um, just sit above the steps and everything. But we, okay. we, we really try and, and, and mark those areas and make sure that uh, you can get around safely. Um, also, there's security. Security is a, a big thing. When people go away, these lights come on automatically and keep your property lit up for, for a certain amount of time. Okay. And has it come a long way? Like I know, you know, um, I forget what it's called when it knows dust to dawn, right? When, what's that? Yeah, yeah, dust, uh, sure, dust to dawn. That's and but what's that you know, term that, though? That would be like if we used like a photo cell or something, yes, which I, yes. I haven't used in, in years and years, but okay. no, I, I haven't had to. Um, what, what I mostly use now are what they call astronomical timers, and these ones you program the location in there, whether it be coordinates or, or what else, okay. um, and you set the zone, and that timer will just self adjust day by day as, as sunset changes. And, um, and on top of that, it'll have a timer as well. So you can have it come on at sunset and then turn off at say 1am and that it will do that every day and sunset will change every day. So in the winter, you won't be like in the old, you'd have to move the pins in the old days on the dial timers, (laughs) right? Like we, we, you know, it's all automatic now. Yes. And, um, and beyond, and I'm beyond sure that, it's all by the your, the app on your phone too, right? Yes. So that's another option as well. The apps are getting very popular, and and we mm-hmm. put like a Wi-Fi module in the transformer that wow. connects to your internet, and then okay. you can 
control it from anywhere that you have internet access from your phone, your device, everything like that. Okay. Uh, it's be yeah, it's become very handy. Actually. Yeah. And is that though, are those little advances, what kind of separates the products that you sell from what say what clients could or homeowners can buy from big box stores? Well, I mean, you can, you can always get little Wi-Fi switches. Uh, you can even get them on Amazon, cheaper ones and everything. Um, but I mean, I guess really what separates us from the box stores would be the quality of product, um, especially when it comes to fixtures, fixtures themselves. I, I don't have too much experience using big box store uh, uh, fixtures. Right. I've never really bought those, but I do get mm. calls uh, when things aren't working to uh, fix them. And what's happening is what I find is they break fairly easy. There's water, maybe moisture is getting in them. Um, and so we end up just cutting them out and putting new fixtures in usually. It's, it's, it's usually an upgrade when you're going beyond the right. box store. And okay. uh, I mean, the fixtures we use are just not comparable. They're solid brass or mm. powder-coated aluminum, but with a solid stake and a high-quality wire coming out of it. Right. There's right. just a lot of different upgrades that, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, but yeah, you get what I you mean, pay for, right? With the, I was just going to say. If your budget's a little lower, that's fine. It, it, they work for a while. And mm -hmm. it, yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned wires, and that's, you know, a part of it, too, is um, and I, I kind of have two questions where it goes to both of them in the sense that um, I think some people with, let's say, an established landscape are like, oh, can't do it now because how would they put the wires in and it's going to make a mess of my lawn? You know, yeah. do you get those kind of objections? Uh, I get those concerns sometimes. Yeah, but we definitely do a lot of installs that um, already have existing finished landscape. Okay. It, it happens a lot. It becomes an afterthought sometimes and they really want a few fixtures lit up, something, you know, mm -hmm. special, a few trees. Um, and it's no problem. The, the wire we use is so small. We, you know, uh, we move all the mulch out of the way. Then we start digging and you get the wiring cleanly. You go around any planting. Okay. Um, when it comes to walkways, sometimes you have to lift a few stones to cross, but it's, it, you know, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. It's definitely ideal to get in before, right? When the okay. planning process and mm -hmm. get conduits, you know, we meet with a design and we all get to talk about it, talk where conduits need to be. That, okay. that definitely makes it a, a much cleaner, easier install, but yeah, it, we do it after the fact all the time as well, if, if it was okay. an afterthought. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm, and I'm one of those people. Cause I'm like, how would you do it now? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But yes, it would mean uh, lifting my walkway and, and kind of, um, cause I'm one of those. So I will make a confession here. We do. Um, so we have no lighting really. And we do um, spotlights. We have a really high roofed home. So to put Christmas lights up on the roof was just not an option. So yeah. we started years ago doing like alternating red and green halogen, you know, spotlights yeah. on our house, yeah. which looks, I have to say my my house looks so lovely until like January 5th when we finally like, okay, we have to turn off the lights. <laughs> well, I was really bad, Paul. And I went and bought a whole bunch of um, white ones. <laughs> and so, so, and like my gardens are all edged by hedges. So nobody knows that these are the yeah. like, tacky spotlights on my house. I, I'm so, sure the effect looks great though. It does look great. And I'm getting so many compliments, honest <laughs> goodness, because yeah. I have a catwalk. Like if you look out my front door, I have a catwalk. So even friends that are walking on that other street, look down the catwalk and see my house lit up and they're all like, your house looks so lovely. And I'm like, oh yeah. yeah. If only I had real proper landscape lighting, it would really look good. <laughs> so, you know, we will definitely have to talk. But, oh, for uh, sure. Um, but so, yep. yeah, so I just, you know, even though I'm in the industry and I'm selling it and I'm putting it in people's designs, it's just that one more thing. 
of course to, yeah you know is it can i make it work and yeah. uh and know. i mean i have i have clients that have um with uh, our most common uplight is an mr16 bulb that size and okay um i have clients that have the normal bulbs in there and then when november comes around late november they open it up and just put a red one in and a green one sort of like what you you do as well Okay. So they have these colored LEDs as well that you can manually swap out and put in and then in January, take them back out again. Okay. Um, they also have, there's, there, we also install these uh, integrated lights that are color changing as well. And you change them from your phone. So you go out and look at your lights and just change whatever you, one you want to red and number two, oh, change that okay. to green. Oh, yeah. right. There's, there's quite a few options out there for that, but. Yeah, that would really make it really nice to not have to worry <laughs> about doing that. And the, and the broken, you know, there's a bulb that gets broken no matter what we do, right? My son's putting them out or us picking yeah. them up. There's always like red or green glass all over our walkway, yeah, right? Yeah, of course, you, yeah. You lose a bulb. Yeah. Um, that, that's where lands, low voltage landscape lighting will shine. It's the, it, They're just a bigger quality, right? They're not breaking yes. all the time and yes. you're not swapping them out or moving them around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And not having to store them too, because we often, you know, because we're yes. taking them in and out, we have yes. this big bin full of lights. Of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. You get a year round use out of, the, out mm -hmm. of them. Mm -hmm. So we do have a listener question and it goes to telling people a little bit more about your company. Um, what is your service area? Oh, so we do um, uh, all of Durham Okay. and we go out to Toronto a lot as well. Um, but uh, you know what? We, we pretty much... We expand from there as well once in a mm -hmm. while, but, but okay. that is our main, our main core is Durham and Toronto, I would say okay. for sure. Okay, great. So thank you, Irene, for that question. Um, Cause you, but you're based, the company head office is, is kind of in Durham. Yeah, we are based out of uh, Brooklyn, which is North okay. Whippy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we go both directions. And yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's important, right? That, uh, you know, that's what happens even with designers. Like it's hard to stay. There's referrals and, and different contractors. I'm sure that you have relationships with in Durham often will call you to do another job in the city, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And you know what? I, we still do get a lot of jobs in the city, um, but I, I am noticing a change. The, there's more and more coming to Durham, like, like uh, the North Oshawa area, that sort of stuff. People are, you know, a lot more people are moving out this way and it's, it's getting a lot busier for, for installs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody's home, Paul. <laughs> Nobody well, wants. <laughs> I hear that almost every time. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, we're, we're in the backyard all day. We might as well do this. Like, yes. You know, yeah, irrigation and lighting going together as well. It's, it's, it's quite a big thing that irrigation and lighting, they use the same trenches a lot. Right. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a good question for sure. Yeah. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so that's something that, so if somebody was, let's say a new, whether it's a new landscape or an established one, if you're putting in lighting, you might as well do irrigation at the same time. Yeah. Or, and the other way around too, if you wanted to start watering, I mean, even if, if the budget isn't there quite yet, we many times will run the wire for lighting because the, okay. the wire is pretty cheap. The, the trench is already open. And mm -hmm. then in the future, when you're ready for lights, the wire's already in there, which, you know, makes it uh, um, a cheaper install again. Okay. And so do you have to do, does it have to be in a conduit? Like I know if our listeners know a conduit, it tends to be like these, I don't know what the material is, like a PVC. Yeah. It, it, we don't really need to with the low voltage. Uh, it, the, the wires all rated for direct burial. Okay. Now, when we go maybe through walkways and stuff, uh, landscapers will install conduits for us. 
And that's in case there's ever a problem, we can always fish a new wire through the walkway without lifting stones again. But if there's ever an issue out in the garden or anything, we can just dig it up and fix it. We don't really need conduits um, out uh, in most cases. Okay. Yeah, mostly when it's hardscaping stuff, we get the conduits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about if it's ir- what about irrigation? Like if you're doing both, would you put both yeah. through the conduit? Or uh, I mean, we would, because, but okay. mo- many times our conduit will fit an irrigation pipe and an irrigation wire. And then if we're doing lighting on the job as well, we'll have uh, double conduits or triple put in. We'll have three of them put in, one for lighting, one for irrigation, and one as a spare. Um, if, if there's, it, there's, it's always helpful to have a spare conduit through your walkway. You, you just okay. never know when you need to get through it or if there's a blockage mm-hmm. through another one. Mm-hmm. It's just in the long run. I mean, it costs nothing to do it. And in the long run, it, it could save a lot of work. Okay. Um, we did, when we did do our walkway, we did, I thought both could be, I thought that was the advantage of conduit was that you could put both the irrigation and I guess it seems odd to put water and electricity through the same tube. <laughs> so I answered my own silly question, but yeah, we did one thing of uh, conduit and I don't, it'd be fun to try and find it now too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cause, and at the time the priority was for me, irrigation, um, thinking yeah. of the garden, but now that the garden's established, I need less of that. The lawn always needs irrigation, but when I, now that I see how nice the lights look, <laughs> it's definitely lighting. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it happens a lot where the lighting's an afterthought and mm-hmm. then when it, when it gets in, like sometimes I do um, temporary installs, just as some people call me and well, what would it look like lit up? So we'll do it above ground and oh, okay. put like three or four fixtures in, light up a few trees and just have it all. So it runs for a few nights. So, cause it's hard to explain how much of a difference it'll make, but when you see it, it really makes a huge mm-hmm. difference without, you know, without being landing gear and spotlights. It's it's just a nice subtle difference, but it really changes everything when you get rid of those sort of black holes in the corner of your lawn where you, mm-hmm. you're sitting on the patio and you don't have a backyard at night. It just kind of disappears. Yeah. Um, when even a few lights change that and create that outdoor space that, that much more usable and enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know we had a show, Matt, and I did a question and answer about landscaping at the beginning of the month. And someone wrote in asking about, um, you know, how they wanted to DIY, you know, and did we have any recommendations for lighting? And, um, you know, it's a hard topic to talk about on the radio because it's so visual. But my my only less qualified advice was um, less is more, you know, like, yeah. Because you can always add, like if you feel there's a dark corner, a dark spot or not enough, you can add a little bit more. But yeah. it's that whole, um, everybody drives by the house in the neighborhood that's, you know. Well, that comes up a lot, actually. Yeah. The, the whole less is more. You can, the, the beautiful thing about LED is um, you don't have to worry as much about voltage drop. Now, voltage drop is um, each fixture along the wire takes some power away. So by the last fixture in the line, you could have a very low voltage. So what you have to do is calculate it out. There there are calculations we work with that let us know that the last fixture is going to look just as good as the first fixture by having the right amount of voltage. Now, that was very limited with halogen because 20 watts and 35 watts, those suck up the power real quickly. You Mm. lose it pretty quickly. Now, with with LED being four watts of fixture, say, you can put 20 fixtures on one wire and they all look amazing. So... What I, my point is when, when you're doing less is more in the backyard and you put five fixtures and then they decide, you know, it would really be great to get those columns lit up in the back corner individually. So we don't have to start over. We can just tee off of the wire that's out there already and add a few more fixtures in. 
So okay. I, I find that to be very helpful in a design to start with less and just see what's missing if, if you think anything's missing. But when you blow it out right off the bat and make it all too bright, it, it could leave a bad taste in your mouth. And yes, you, you just want to start subtle. And I think that's a great thing for people to know that you can build on it. So it, it, if it yeah. is now, even from front to back, like let's say if you lay all the wires and you maybe budget this year as the backyard, but knowing that you can then connect to the front yard. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Uh, you know, uh, now I guess the, the main thing comes down to how big your transformer is as well. So your transformer is what uh, sends the power out to the lights. It's what is provided, what you can use. And um, so say you have a small system with a 150 watt transformer. Now, if you've used all of that up in the backyard, you may need, you will need to upgrade that to a bigger transformer or add a second one for the front yard. Okay. But as long as there's room to add, um, which there's always lots of room when it's LED that, you know, that goes a long way, 150 watt transformer. Wow. So as yeah, long as there's room, would. you can just jump right out to the front and throw it on the same system. It's, okay. it's, it's very convenient with LED lights. Okay. We have a, a John has written in, so a nice compliment, uh, Paul. He says, your guest this evening sounds like Alex Lifeson from the band Rush. <laughs> so oh, interesting that is a compliment. Tonight. So there you go. <laughs> you can't excellent. get it better than that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love, um, John, where you thought we had to you had to tell us who were um, that Alex Lifeson was part of the rush. Right. <laughs> so so we're the generation that, I know it. that yeah. we're good. No, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John, for your comment. <laughs> um, so John, another John has written in, and so he's going to deviate a little bit to irrigation. So he said, "Hello, regarding in-ground sprinkler system, is the normal water pressure in a home sufficient to run the system?" Or do you need to up the water pressure at your house? No, for, in most cases, we run off the normal water pressure. Um, even, you know, a good three-quarter line coming out is excellent. But even sometimes there's just half inch coming out to a hose bib, like, a, like your tap that your garden hose would be attached mm -hmm. to. And we can run off of that too. It, all it does is limit how many sprinklers you can run at one time. So if you have a very big property, you may want to have a bigger uh, line come out of the house. If you have a normal standard uh, property, uh, you can run a few mist heads on one zone, then a few more mist heads on another zone. You can do like five and five. and Like you can get a lot done from a half inch line and still only have six zones on your system, say. So it's your, your water pressure is usually fine. We normally, when I go out to uh, check a house for a system, we normally check it and make sure the pressure is fine. But very, very rarely do we have trouble with that. Okay. All right. Yeah. And sticking, so Don has another question, um, sticking with irrigation. He's enjoying the show from Sel Selma, Alabama. What is the material of underground piping for an irrigation system? Can they rust, break, or rot? Now, this might not be, you know, what they use there, right? But what we use here in, in Ontario, Canada. Yeah, so we use uh, like a black poly pipe most of the time. And okay. now what's getting more popular is this blue lock stuff. Uh, it's a little half inch flexible pipe that has um, these connectors that just slide into the ends kind of sort of like like at Home Depot have they had that shark bite kind of thing for, for plumbing but okay um, but it's it doesn't rust or rot or anything like that the only issues we have would be freezing so at the end of the season you know when it's starting to get a bit colder out we go around to all our clients and hook a compressor up and blow all of the water out of the lines and the valves and everything just to make sure it's all clear now that pipe can sit there underground um, and nothing will change, not, nothing at all. 
Okay. Yeah. And I'm doubting Dawn needs to do that in Alabama, right? <laughs> you know, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're good year round there. You're going to be fine. That's right. That's right. Uh, so that's good to know, uh, Dawn, that uh, your irrigation will be good. And Matthew's back joining us. I am. Didn't know if you said anything. <laughs> yes, we, we did say that you uh, you left us for a little bit. Uh, we're always the mercy of Zoom, right? We are. We are. <laughs> we are. So but it sounds like you've had a lot of awesome questions. So we have. Um, we have yeah. and a compliment too. So you know. I, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. That is awesome. Well, why don't I just take a quick second while I just jump in and interrupt uh, <laughs> to thank everyone for joining us here down the garden path on Reality Radio One Hundred and One. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting, relevant, and helpful topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the wonderful guests like Paul that join us here on the show. Don't forget to spend some more time with us down the garden path and find us on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please subscribe to be notified of new content, like, share, and leave us a comment. You can also find Joanne at down to the number two earth.ca and myself at naturalaffinity.ca with all our social media links. That's right. And all our past shows and everything, you can track us down there. So thank everybody for listening and joining us here. We're having a great topic. Our month uh, of theme for the month of March is landscape, which is a really big, broad topic. But tonight <laughs> we're doing a deep dive on uh, landscape lighting with a little bit of irrigation thrown in just because they kind of go, it seems light and water, <laughs> electricity and water, right? Uh, um, yeah, but, it's funny. Yeah. But like you said, the trenching and the work, it, it makes sense. It really does. It happens all the time for us where um, even with um, like lights don't always go where the sprinklers are, but we do open trench and, and run pipes all around the property. So we run wire with that. And if it's not, you know, where a light would be, we, we just tie up the wire um, and then tee off of that wire and, and bury the rest of the wire where it would be, where the fixture would spur off of that main trench. But okay. it just makes it so helpful uh, using the same trenches when we can. It, mm -hmm. So you only dig it once. That's right. And then I guess, are, do you handle the sod, like the sod replacement? <laughs> we don't. We, but we okay. do, you know, when it comes to the grass areas, we're very careful where the grass, what you do is you kind of cut it open. You pull the grass section out first, then you dig your trench down, bury it, put the dirt back in, and then place the grass back on top. And in okay. most cases, it ends up just having two little seams along the mm. side of that entire trench. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then instantly after that, you're irrigating already. So now you're really helping it come back to life. Mm -hmm. So better than the, the, the cable guys and the, and the internet, <laughs> right? <laughs> we can all see those square patches where they've oh, been yeah, when yeah. they've left the neighborhood, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's good. So, yeah. So that was one of my questions about, you know, how much disruption in an existing landscape, but it sounds like you really try to keep it as minimal as possible. Oh, we do. I mean, we encounter it every day. And, and and like I was mentioning about the mulch and the dirt, like if you just throw that and dig it all together, it looks terrible afterwards. Mulch gets mixed in with dirt and it it just doesn't look the same, right? So you got to take care with that, separate it all and do a nice, nice clean job. Okay. Um, are the lights like the tone? I know we talked a little bit about the colored lights. 
are there certain situations where because you know i think about inside lights uh, you know there's a warm light and a cool light like yes um is that something where you would consider is that a homeowner's preference or what would kind of go into that i kind of i usually make recommendations um where what we're lighting up um like a cooler light like a there's what we call kelvin it's measured on a temperature scale of kelvins and 2700 kelvin is a very common popular soft orange looking light and people really liked that because um it it looks just like every other older style light that you've seen before and uh then it goes up to 3000 k which is more like the old halogen lights which is still soft and, and yellow but it's getting a little cooler and those two are definitely the most common ones to use in landscape lighting now you can get whiter or colder with like a 4000 kelvin that like the higher you go it gets a bit cooler Okay. So depending on what you're lighting, um, it, it really matters actually, like a, like a cooler light for a, maybe a whiter background or a darker background. Like if you have some dark stone or gray or something like that, a, a higher Kelvin would look a little better than an orange kind of light on it. Okay. And if you're, if you're lighting kind of softer colors, like a Japanese maple, maybe like with mm-hmm. red leaves and everything, well, softer red leaves, that would be more like a 2700 Kelvin because it would really help it show off the effect at night. It would really show off those soft, subtle colors. Okay. I, how about as a, um, a landscape matures, like, would that be something too? Like initially everything's pretty like kind of small, <laughs> yeah. like, you know what I mean? Brand new, small and plant materials, small. And um, so would you need like kind of softer lighting to not overpower that? And then maybe as, as the plants age, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it takes these these lights cover pretty much everything like that. I mean, as things right. grow, it doesn't take too much more. But many years later, yes, as trees get massive, you want to pull that fixture back a bit and check the beam spread too. That that's mm. the angle of how the light's coming out of the fixture. Now, if you're if you're lighting up columns or or pillars or, or whatever, you're having a narrow 15 degree just to light up the pillar or the flagpole, that sort of stuff. Okay. But as, a, as if you're lighting up the trunk of a tree and then the under canopy and everything's getting a lot wider, now you're going to want to look at a 35 degree or more and, and make sure that it, you're getting a nice, decent coverage and possibly adding a second light now to, to cross through and do some cross lighting. When you do that, you get more of a, a shadowy effect, like you get both more angles on what the light's hitting, leaves and branches, so it, it mm-hmm. pops a little better. So yeah, as things grow, a lot of things do change with lighting for sure. Okay. That is good. So we do have a listener question. Um, George has written in, hello, listening to you from Preston, Georgia. Are the lighting systems that you buy at a big box store any good? Uh, Most are plastic fixtures. Are professional systems better and why? Uh, I apologize if I'm going back over something because maybe you've talked about already. Yes, well, Paul, we did talk a little bit about it, and and really, it sums up kind of you get what you pay for. But but uh, Paul, yeah. go ahead and just you know recap a little bit on just the difference in in the actual fixtures. Oh sure, yeah. Um, the big differences in the fixtures would be, um, like mentioned, most of them are plastic. Um, they the, the the seals aren't usually as aggressive. Now, moisture is a big problem. Getting moisture mm-hmm. in in a fixture is a big problem. Um, and breaking them is a big problem. Now we have a lot of backyards where dogs are running around and stomping on them. And, and these big box ones, they break and snap very easily. Now fixtures that I install are, you know, are much more solid. They're made out of solid brass, say. A lot of times that's very common is using a brass fixture. 
and it has a stake. They very rarely get knocked over. They're just solid. If they do get knocked over, you pick it back up and aim it at the tree again. Uh, you know, with a, a cheaper fixture, it gets knocked over. It's usually going in the garbage. It, mm-hmm. It's just, they just don't really survive that well. Then, and lenses break, uh, everything, everything bad breaks, the, you know, yeah. and, and moisture gets in, weather gets in, the winter happens, they fall over ice, water, everything. It's uh, mm-hmm. you really, you know, it's really, really worth paying for uh, a quality fixture because you will end up paying again if, if you yeah. don't do that. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. I think the stake, that's something that people concentrate probably on the bulb, but you know, if the stake, and I know that from not so good systems that my, uh, <laughs> that my uh, Christmas lights are on, you know, our stakes, like we literally are zip tied and like yeah, propped it up yeah. with wood and, and things like that just to get through. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can definitely tell the the difference with a quality stake that, that is supporting. Um, yeah, and I'm sure the, the, same the, with, the... you know, the stake is something you don't really ever see as well with it being under, like, even if, um, if a fixture is going into like a, an area that has a lot of gravel, maybe some pea gravel or, or river rock, it's even uh, worthwhile to use even a brass stake to even upgrade the stake in there as well. Um, you know, stake is a pretty important part of the, the thing, uh, the whole setup. Yeah. But I, I would say the most we notice about stake problems would be with path lighting uh, because mm. they're, you know, 18 inches tall on a riser. And they just, you know, people walking by or pets or whatever, bump into them. That's part of our, our uh, maintenance schedule. We're always straightening path lights. You know, they're oh, the okay. most, the ones that get the most lean over the winter. They're all kind of angled out a little bit from the snow or, or someone shoveling around it. And uh, you need a quality stake underneath that too. If, if you don't have one, they're just not going to last. Yeah. Um, trip hazards, are they... <laughs> I guess I mean if they're well, if they're not up enough I guess right <laughs> yeah you know and and that's another thing when it comes to design designing the, the stuff we really try and pick discrete areas off into a garden where it will still shine and wash out onto the patio or it'll wash down the stairs and we'll have one at the bottom as well to kind of wash into the mid of the steps as well and it, you know you got to be pretty strategic with these things yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it is a skill you know it, it's something that um you know, it is a skilled industry and we do have to like take courses and, and right. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, so thank you for, for sharing that. So Matt, we've got a couple more questions. We do have a few more questions. Uh, Karen has written in, hello, very first time listening to your radio show. Nice topic. Do I win the first prize for the landscape lighting system? Question. <laughs> uh, she says, thanks. I live in Portage La Prairie, Manitoba. Ah, well, welcome to listening, Karen. Thank you. That's right. Thank you, Karen. Um, we've also got Nancy who's written in question. How do rain sensors work on an irrigation system? Oh, oh. okay. So yeah, very uh, important piece of the irrigation system. So mm-hmm. Um, when our systems run, they go automatically every day and, or every other day, however it's programmed, but having a rain sensor is very important because it will collect the amount of uh, rain coming down and you'll set it to a setting that's acceptable where when it reaches that setting, it won't let the sprinklers run anymore. So it will, uh, deactivate the controller. Nothing will come on. And what it does is as it dries itself out, it simulates the grass and the gardens drying as well. 
when it gets dry enough, where it's an accept below that acceptable range, then the next morning or whenever that program will come back on again and it will start watering again. That's great. So if we get a rainy, you know, those two rainy weeks in May or in, in August, yeah. right? You don't want to look out and see your sprinklers running in the rain. It's <laughs> a bit of a waste of water and mm-hmm. kind of useless. Yeah. Now we have also um, newer uh, Wi-Fi systems now for irrigation that link in with like the weather network and such, and they aren't really predictive. They're more reactive to what, uh, how much water has come down. So it will measure that and it'll tell the controller through the internet how much water has come and the controller will adjust uh, to a percentage. So it'll say only a little bit of rain came. So we will water today 75% instead of 100% of the program. Uh, or, you know, and it will change every day according to how much it believes the, the lawn needs. Mm-hmm. Now, at the end of the year, that ends up um, being very uh, important water savings as well. And you still have a perfectly good uh, lawn right. and garden. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, I was going to ask, is a system like going Wi-Fi versus just that traditional, or the last sensor you spoke to, is there a big price difference between going um, Wi-Fi versus? Yeah, it's not in the whole... Uh, scheme of the the whole system it's an upgrade but it's not a major one and uh it really comes down to like all of our controllers that we use accept a wi-fi module so take it or leave it it's it's not a problem but if you decide to upgrade in the future um no problem we just plug it in Uh, but it, it when it comes to the cost it's not that big of a difference and especially they're promoting that um but you know by the end of the year one or year two you're probably in your savings you've probably paid off that Wi-Fi module anyways. So mm-hmm. it's definitely worth, as long as you yes. have a good internet connection to where your controller is, um, as long you know, if your controller isn't out in the field behind your shed and it doesn't have a, a good Wi-Fi signal, then yeah. it's good to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one thing about professional um, irrigated yards as they're set up, because I know I've seen, you know, homeowners do DIY sometimes, course, right? Yeah. And, um, but different plants need different... Um, and I've even seen companies where I've had to say to the homeowner, you know, the, the lawn head and the lawn frequency cannot adequately water that 300 pound blue spruce, (laughs) right? Yeah. So we try definitely in our designs, we consider what's there. So we always separate our gardens from our grass, um, and break it down in what we call zones. So Uh, We have different run times for grass and gardens all the time. They need a different amount of water. They also use different types of sprinklers, which put down different amounts of water. So uh, as an example, we have rotors, ones that pop up and rotate back and forth on the grass. Now, if you run that for 10 minutes, it's going back and forth in a half circle. It's not putting as much water down all over the place as you would think. Whereas if you run a garden zone with a mist head, for 10 minutes, it's spraying the same little area the entire time for 10 minutes. So, you know, timing matters. You're gonna put a lot more uh, gallonage down in one small area in a garden in 10 minutes than you would spaced out on a, on a lawn. So it's very important to separate those and to pay attention where water's needed and, and what you're actually watering. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important too, is to listen to your your uh, professional because I think that's where I've, I've run into clients who've maybe, you know, cut cut the, the the process you know and then the the trees like those are expensive trees if they're not being watered so they need to be watered deeply and and probably a little bit more often yeah Yeah, compared to the lawn right yeah it's like a row of cedars at the back of your property 
those will not make it if you're just spraying a bit of water in them. You have to have a dedicated zone of like kind of soaker mm -hmm. hose back there that will run for a long time to really get that root watering going, to really get them to take. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it may only go twice a week or maybe three times a week. It might not go every day, but it's that yeah. deeper plants exactly. need a deeper thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. That's, that's great. <laughs> Matt. Another question. We've got uh, Ken has written in four trees, the beam lights up or down. Wow. Now, <laughs> that's, we, it's hard to say when you haven't seen the trees either. Yes. But I really love uplighting. It's, it's mm -hmm. one of my favorite effects. So from the ground, putting the fixture on the ground and shining up at a tree. Um, a lot of times I will put two on bigger trees to get a better kind of cross effect on them. Um, then, you know, there's also mounting trees or lights up in trees and shining the light down to the ground. We call it like moonlighting, downlighting. And that looks excellent too, to really subtly light walkways if it's lined by trees. Well, you can wash the soft light down to the ground and it kind of looks like the moon's out and it's just lighting your walkway. Mm. Um, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with mixing those effects as well. Having having some downlighting, <laughs> some uplighting and, uh, you know, you could just go on and on really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, and although you can, can you not overdo the uplighting? Like I think the uplighting is like, there's some few key spots in your landscape. Yes. I definitely like a mix. Um, kind of one of my favorite things to do is just to have a few uplights, like, like at the, in the four in, in the mid ground in the back, um, picking, you know, two or three things, but in the mix of that, having a few path lights just to put, or down lights from trees, just to put a bit of the stuff below mm -hmm. under some light. So mm -hmm. you get a soft glow on the mulch and the planting and the flowers. So you're not just looking up at the effect through these trees. You're also seeing what they're planted in and, uh, and just not doing too much of that as well, but just, you know, spacing everything out. Uh, it gives you a nice subtle effect where you're not overdoing it. Now, if you have 18 trees and you just let light all of them in one little garden, well, you know, it's maybe not necessary to hit every one of them, just kind of mm -hmm. pick zones and decide where would this light flow through all of those trees nicely. And then, not do everything yes, <laughs> you know? yeah because honestly I, I i have seen it so many times i mean i'm sure everyone has you can you can definitely over light you can put mm -hmm. too many lights and it looks a bit maybe a bit tacky or something like even with soffit lighting i mean i'm sure you've seen houses where there's just been like every two feet of soffit light and the whole yes. house is like yes. steaming mm -hmm. you know maybe just a little too much yeah do you do the soffit lighting too I don't. I no doubt. Okay. I really do my best if we're if we're lighting a house. I love up lighting from mm. yeah, as much as we can. If we can get do some wide washes up the walls, and maybe on peaks get some fixtures on the roof where it shines to the higher peaks and stuff. Getting a nice even glow on a house is just amazing if if you can get it done right. Okay, and then that defeats the purpose of yes, yeah. That would that would eliminate the soffits. That's a question uh, for clients all the time. Do you you know I ask them do you use your soffit lighting much? And if they say no. It's like, okay, let's leave that off and we'll replace it with uh, some okay. different different kinds of lights. Could that be a savings too? Like, because that's expensive. Oh, the yeah. soffit lighting. Well, I'm not sure what uh, they charge for installing soffit lighting, to be honest. But Well, it I just know looks like it'd be hard work kind of going it, up there. It kind of does. It's, a lot of them are pretty high too. So, yeah, yeah I'm not sure what's involved in that. But um, yeah, for us, it's just putting another fixture, you know, here and there. It's It's the same old thing for us. Okay. Okay. That's great. Nice. 
Um, well, Alexis has written in another question or a question. Uh, are those outdoor lighting systems low voltage? Are they 12 volts, 24 volts, or are they 100 to 120 volts? Uh, just very curious as to how uh, high will my electric bill be running for them? Thank you. Oh, okay. So they're 12 volts. Um, usually our, uh, our, our transformers have a scope of 12 to 15 terminal, like a, a 12 volt terminal, 13, 14, 15 volt. Now, the reason for a higher voltage terminal would be to get 12 volts further down the line. If we're, if it's a light that's really far away or there's a lot of power being drawn on the line, we can up the voltage a bit, but this is low voltage. It is not 120, it's, it's 12 volts. And, um, now the cost savings are, are dramatic, especially when we're talking about LED as well. These, these fixtures do not use very much power. Like a path light that I was talking about, that would be on a riser with a little hat on it and it kind of shines down on the ground. Mm -hmm. Those are usually two or three watts per. Like that is just oh. such a small amount of power. You did, Zoom just beeped there. So say that again. How oh. many, how, what were the watts? Yeah, Zoom, they're, they're you know. Usually, they're usually two or three watts per bulb like it's just such a small usage of power it's amazing compared to what an old system used to be it's, it's just night and day it's amazing okay so you said two to three yeah and the mr16s yeah. like uplighting trees they're usually four four or five watts so it's not even that okay. big of an upgrade to get a big light on a tree you don't you're not even using that much more power okay that's great so yeah so there is no yeah. real up on the electric bill then yeah, not much. You know, it's it's uh, yeah, dramatically different. Oh, good, great question. Yes. Thank you. Yes, uh, thank you very much for um, Alexis. Uh, Riley's also written in the question: uh, When someone puts in a lawn irrigation system, is winterizing a big issue? Is it hard to do? What do you do for that? I, I that might be a repeat. I'm not too sure. Yeah, no, that's okay. It's it's very necessary in our area here where we have winter. We have to do winterizing. We have to blow them out before uh, everything starts freezing. Uh, the pipes are not below the frost line or anything like that. So we have to clear everything out. Um, and uh, well, it's, it's not hard to do for us because we drive around with some big compressors. Uh, we tow, tow them behind 185s and they, you know, we have hose reels. When we design a system, we always mark, we, we put a place where we're going to connect this hose to while we're designing it. So we know where we're going with all our clients and, you know, and, and all the irrigation companies do this. So you, mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to blow out a system, winterize it, there's going to be a hookup somewhere where you can hook the hose up and then just start shooting air through it. And normally okay. we go zone by zone and you just turn on zone one. And when it looks clear, you go to zone two. And so it's not hard. It's a little bit time consuming. And then there's travel getting to all the sites and everything. Mm -hmm. Now, as a homeowner doing it, they would need a fairly decent compressor and a fairly small system. The bigger the system, the more air you lose. It's, it just takes forever to do it with oh, a okay. small compressor that you're recharging. You plug in the wall and charge it up again and then blow yeah. the air in the hoses. It does take a long time and, mm -hmm. and you don't always get all of the water out which is why we use these much bigger intense uh, yeah. compressors. We just like shoot it all out, no problem. So, okay. so for us who are set up to do it, it's not a, not a hard job at all. Okay. So do you automatically, do most people when you're doing an install, when you're pricing out the job, um, do you also like, I guess, service and that kind of open it, spring open and close, you know, much like with a pool, right? You have to, you know, That's have right. that support. 
Yep, absolutely. And, and you know, in my proposal, I, I, I detail all of those, what's entailed and, and what, what's needed. Now, we always have um, a spring startup where we come and activate. We turn the water on, uh, check for any leaks, make sure every zone is working and spraying where it's supposed to be spraying. We check the program and make sure the timings are all right. And then we set a program and check the rain sensor. And yeah, a startup's very important for the, you know, the winter does a lot of damage out here for a lot mm-hmm. of things. Even, even if it just moves a sprinkler, it could be spraying all over your walkway instead of all where your flowers need to be. So, mm-hmm. you know, the startup's important and same with the winterization. And that's, you know, I lay that out. I let everyone know what's involved because some people are pretty shocked about that, actually. How, you know, they're just surprised there's maintenance uh, involved as well, but. It's, it's very necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that uh, I know um, people that have existing, like if they have existing irrigation and then we want, we want, they want us to do new, inst- like a new landscaping. So that can be that, you know, whether you lift it, I mean, sometimes the landscapers, the system's old and the landscaper just tears it out and says it's better just to relay, relay lines. Yeah. Or is yeah. it better if we call the irrigation company mm-hmm. and have you kind of, well, a lot of times it is uh, uh, better to have the irrigation company take a look because they can they could point out areas. You know, if you dig this big area and and there's a pipe in there, just just tail up the pipe on either side, and then when you're done, we will, you know, work it out and fix it. And and if you just tear a, an irrigation line and bury it again, well, when you turn it on, there's just going to be a big pool of water. We're not going to know exactly where that pipe is, and it could be way much more deep now that that it's filled with dirt and pushed down in the hole Mm -hmm. it could just cause a lot of bigger problems now Mm -hmm. if we're talking a a big whole new landscape job usually it's just ripped out and start fresh right it's really hard when you're putting band-aids on things and you're trying to make that system work for a new design and a new layout and then Mm -hmm. yeah you know it can end up costing more just trying to redesign an old system so usually it's worth just taking it out and starting fresh with your fresh new landscaping. Okay. Um, just back to those, uh, the service question. Um, if you're servicing in the spring, for the irrigation, would you also check the lighting? Or is that like kind of a, oh, if yeah. you're doing both and it's yeah. perfect, right? Absolutely. You're, you know, our crews are there checking the irrigation. They will go around and check all the lighting as well, straighten all the fixtures. Now they'll also make notes if um, there's bigger changes needed. If things are growing, it's been a few years, it's time to come and move these fixtures back a bit, maybe space them out a bit different. Um, that will all be uh, uh, addressed later. Okay. But for the small stuff, it's start up the irrigation, straighten the fixtures, maybe wash the lenses if they're you know under trees where they're getting a lot of sap on them or something. So all the basic stuff to really get a little tune-up going is is uh is taking taken care of at the same time it's same with like uh exposed wires sometimes wires come above ground throughout the winter and you see a little few feet of wire that's made its way to the top of the garden well we'll rebury that of course and hide it mm. again okay so yeah so it seems very much worth um like are there people that do take a system and don't take your support no, not usually. No. Okay. It, it usually, okay. So it's kind of a you know, standard it, thing. Yeah. It usually just kind of comes along with it. And uh, mm-hmm. some people, some people like uh, starting up their system by themselves and they just have us come and bring the compressor to blow it out. They, they kind of like going through every zone and tweaking it themselves and, and, and they have time to do that. And that's fine. That's, that's great. And uh, we have the compressor to winterize it for them. So no problem. But uh, most cases, most of our clients, it's spring startup, winter shutdown. Okay. 
Well, that's great to know. And I think because everybody wants low maintenance, right? So yeah. So yeah. the best kind of low maintenance is paying someone else to do the maintenance. Oh, I get <laughs> asked that all the time. Is, is this hands-free? I don't have to do anything? Will the lights yeah. just come on and turn off? That, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I try to tell. I try to do my best to. I tell them I don't plant plants. I don't design with plastic plants, though. So they, they still need to <laughs> irrigate them. But yeah, I try to keep it as low maintenance uh, as yeah. possible as well. Um, so and that's imagine. a big thing too with your planting. It's it's mm-hmm. it you know it means so much. You invest so much in the planting and everything that you really need the irrigation to keep that going. You don't want to have to be out there watering it yourself all the time. It's, it's Absolutely, and I thing. think more and more too, the landscapers are um, not warranting plant material unless it's irrigated. Yeah, yeah, you I'm know? hearing that a lot too, and it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. It, it really does make sense. It takes a lot of work to keep mm-hmm. that stuff up. Yeah. Let me say professionally irrigated because your home systems aren't, like I said, (laughs) you know, they, they are not the same and they're not treating, they not treating the plants. So that's the professional part where you know, which plants need more need to be on what zone for what uh, situation. Cause even the lawn can't, if it has too much water on the lawn, that's not good for the lawn. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. So you can definitely overdo it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as we wrap up, Matt, is there another question? There's two more quick questions, it <laughs> looks like, as we reach the last 10 minutes. Brian has written in, good evening. Are the lawn sprinklers in the ground a trip hazard? Uh, I do not need a lawsuit from my neighbor's kids getting uh, <laughs> hurt on them if I choose to install a system. Thank you. Okay, so no, our, our sprinklers are all buried underground. And when they turn on, they pop up four or six inches out of the ground and start spraying and watering. When they turn off, they retract and go back underground again. Um, Some sprinklers do need to be left above ground, but these are ones that would be in the backs of gardens that have to clear some high planting material Mm. uh, and situations like that. But we would never have uh, sprinklers. I mean, you would hit it with a lawnmower, you would would trip on it. So all everything in exposed areas, it's buried and hidden for sure and safe. Nice. And we've got Susan who's written in, hello, I live in the GTA. As soon as the ground is sopped, can we start to install a sprinkler system? Or if not, how soon should one wait to do that? How much damage is done to the lawn (laughs) when you install a system? Thanks. Great show tonight, Susan. Well, the earlier we start, um, our main concerns are, are like the mud and the grass being very wet and it's really hard to repair that stuff when you when we dig that up it does not go back the same as when we start we end up making more of a mess than anything we do more damage than good so we always wait and we don't start installing until things start drying out a little bit mm-hmm. it's just not worth the hassle and you track mud everywhere like everything about it in the spring is not good so mm-hmm. we always wait till things start drying out usually we get going with actual installs um uh, late april hopefully you know we're always playing the weather but hopefully late april we get started but you never really know right Um, now when it comes to service and startups activating people's systems we can do that earlier because we're not doing as much digging or damaging we're just running through them and making sure everything survived the winter okay Okay, that's good. Yeah, and and to talk about booking, uh, Susan. So uh, so Susan's a repeat and a longtime listener. Um, we were talking before the show. So really, our season, the landscaping season, all real ask 
aspects of it from design to irrigation to landscaping hasn't really stopped. So yeah. <laughs> anybody like if you're calling Paul now, you're not he's not it's not going to be a spring install, right? It's and same with designs. I'm I'm having to break it to my clients uh, that any designs we start now, you're looking August, September installs. And I'm pretty confident in the GTA anyway, I can speak to that. I can't speak to other areas of the of the world that may be listening. Uh, I'm pretty much, I could bet money on if there's a Las Vegas poll that by May 1st, uh, 2021 will be sold out. Um, and people are gonna start booking 2022. Lots of reasons, COVID certainly, everybody being home and the demand has increased. Material shortages that pushed a lot of projects from 2020 into 2021. So most contractors, and I don't know if that's impacted you at all, Paul, but most contractors that I work with, you know, the first two or three jobs, you know, that are the May, April, May, and June jobs, they were jobs that last year they we couldn't get material for. So, you yeah, know, we, you're really starting yeah. really in July for the new jobs. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have a, a carryover list for the start of this season. Um, mm -hmm. That we did have a, a material shortage for a little while, then everything started flooding in again. And, but we we also because of that we ran out of time. Uh, the weather changed, and we just had to, you know, our our existing list had to jump into the new year. So, yeah, we I, I would say we're probably into. Um, maybe June before we're starting new job. Like, you know, okay, we're, so our old shape. jobs are, are take, well that, I mean that our old jobs from last year are probably taking us to June. And then now okay. it's all of the new ones in January, February that we've all, you know, sold over the course of the winter that okay. start up in June. It's okay. um, it's pretty heavy. It, it's uh, yeah, it, it's very busy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah. if anybody's thinking about lighting and irrigation, another shout out to Paul. Um, uh, we'll have all his information and contact information on our in our show notes for our website. But Paul from Light Tech um, and AquaTech is the the yeah. I guess it's the same company, it right? Is. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's no time like the present for everybody. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And did we say Paul's website? Is it still aquatechirrigation.ca to reach out to yep, Paul in the group? That, that's correct. Yep. You can even book a, a, a referral there and, and get a meeting with me. Very nice. Very nice. Um, so, wow. Thank you so much, Paul. It looks like it was a great or sounds like it was a great show, even though I apologize uh, for no, missing most of it. It was excellent. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Keep me on my it toes. Was it, was, it was very entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, lots of great questions. And I know, I'm sorry, yeah. Matt, that you were in and out a bit, but uh, but that's okay. I apologize. That's right. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so thank you, everybody, for, for tuning in. Um, just quickly before we go, we've got lots more contractors and interesting landscape uh, design topics for the rest of the month. It's a five-Monday month here in March, so there's lots to talk about. Uh, Joanne, where can we find you for our listeners? Uh, yes, yeah, so you can find me at my website, which is downtoearth.ca with number two. And all my social media links are there. And uh, as well as our Down the Garden Path podcast, uh, both on Facebook and Instagram. So if you search for that whole word, Down the Garden Path podcast, uh, we'd love for you to follow us on Instagram and to uh, join us. Um, we can answer your questions anytime outside of the show uh, on Facebook in our Facebook group. Right, Matt? That's right. We'd love to continue the conversation. 
see lots of pictures and exciting things that you have to share with us. Uh, we love hearing from all of our listeners. You can find me anytime, uh, naturalaffinity.ca with all my email and social media links there as well. Thank you again, Paul Costco, uh, for joining us here on Down the Garden Path. Thank you, everybody, for all your wonderful questions. And Gary, as always, for helping us produce the show. That's it for another Monday evening here on Down the Garden Path on Reality Radio 101. We hope you all tune in next week. Have a wonderful week. Thank you, Paul. And Thanks, guys. Later. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your hosts, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing, right here on Reality Radio 101.